even if you get critiques that tell you, no, this isn't working, don't let that stop you. It just means you're not there yet. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of the kick-ass Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Taylor, I am so excited today because you are taking care of the chit-chat, and I don't have to think of anything, <laughs> so chit-chat away. I have this story. <laughs> it's a funny story, and I hope I can keep it short because we all know that I talk too much, and I haven't told it to Steve yet, uh, so here we go. When, when I very first, well, I guess I was about six months new to Dallas, I was in a furniture store trying to find a bunk bed for my kids. And I saw a set of bedroom furniture. And it was the first time, one of the very few times in my life that I was ever like, oh my God, I have to have that. I have to have it. For the most part, I am very much not a thing type person. Um, except for maybe sometimes shoes and a few little like things from my childhood that I was deprived from. So if I, I just want them for the sake of having them. But other than that, I'm really not, I don't, I don't, I hate shopping. I just don't see the point in, you know, things. I, I, I don't spend money on purses and I just, no. So for me to have this reaction over this bed was really weird so fast forward all these years later, I'm thinking about, it's got to have been over 15 years now. I have this bedroom furniture set. I still love this set. I've never seen another bedroom set that I have ever gone, oh, I would rather have that instead. And over the years, now at the time when we bought that set, we had, we had a queen mattress because we needed stuff and somebody had one that they had used and um, like slept on once and couldn't take back. And they were like, we'll sell it to you for cheap. And we needed it. So we started off with queen mattress. And when you, we had a queen mattress, we ended up getting a queen bed. And as time went on, I, I started thinking, you know, I'd really like to have a, a wish we had gotten a king for, for this bed set. And I even went back to the store where I'd originally bought the bed and they'd closed down. So over the years, every once in a while, I would peek at just online furniture and just see, could I ever find this bed? And it never could. And about four months ago, I was like, if I don't find this bed soon, I'm going to end up having to get a different set eventually. And I do not want to give up this this furniture. I don't know. You can have everything else in my house. I don't care. I want to keep this furniture. <laughs> <laughs> so... I started this thing. Um, Facebook has this marketplace where people list stuff for sale. And it, it sort of became a hobby of mine where I would just type in that I was searching for king beds and I would just scroll through pictures and scroll through pictures. And it was just sort of this mindless brain numbing thing I do while, you know, the kids are watching. I'm sitting there watching a movie with the kids and whatever. And one day I reload this and there's my bed. And I about nearly had a heart attack. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, that's my bed. Now, 
I don't have a king mattress, and I'm not in any position to put that king-size bed anywhere in my house, but I'm like, I have to have that bed. <laughs> and they were selling it for more than I wanted to pay. And so I'm like, oh, my God, this, you know, what am I going to do? So I contact these people, and I'm like, please let me have your bed for this little bit amount of money. And they're like, okay. I mean, they worked with me on it. And so I'm like calling up somebody who has a truck. You have to come with me and go pick up this bed. And we like drove like, I don't know, 50 or miles or so and picked up this bed. And now it's sitting in my garage. It's just sitting there. Not, I mean, not assembled. It's disassembled. So it's not taking up, you know, the whole garage or anything. But I have my bed so that if and when the time comes that I buy a new mattress, I have my bed. I don't have to give up my set. And that is my story that you guys can laugh at me for for the rest of my life. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny the number of times in life you you think I sh- I really shouldn't do this because I, I'm not the kind of person who who does that who just sees something and wants it and buys it. But it's amazing the number of times when the decision is right that 15 years later you look back on it and you go, man, am I ever glad I did that? Well, I know the odds of me ever finding that bed again are about zero. Mm-hmm. And I asked the lady, I was like, where did you buy this? And she bought it the same place I bought mine. Mm-hmm. And and like, we both live completely different places from that place anymore, you know? So it was just, it was one of those things that was like, if I don't do this now, I will kick myself for the rest of my life. <laughs> and did you have to move anything to make room for it in your garage? No, I like, I'm not a thing person, right? So my garage is not full of stuff. So now it is. It's full of a bed. But <laughs> <laughs> now if you could just find that king mattress, you're golden. Well, eventually I'm going to have to buy a new mattress. So I'm like, I'm just setting this up for when that time comes. And then I'll have this extra queen bed. And I'm like, now do I sell it or do I put it in a guest bedroom? Because it's a really awesome bed. <laughs> there might be someone out there or there probably will be someone out there who just has the same story as you and has been looking for a year for a queen version of that bed. Yeah, maybe so. And if we had more time for chit-chat, I could tell you a PS to this story that it jumps off in a different direction, but we don't have time, so um, next time. (laughs) Okay, today's episode, we're not talking about sleeping arrangements, we're not talking about beds and garages, we're not talking about looking for things on Facebook, we're talking about beta readers. And Taylor gets questions on a fairly regular basis about beta readers. And so, Taylor, take it away. Well, I don't know that the questions are specifically, should I have a beta reader? But people will come to me and be like, I wrote a chapter. Can you read this chapter and tell me if it's good enough or whatever? Well, first of all, I absolutely don't read material that's sent to me from fans or readers or anything unless it's specifically for teaching on the podcast or for the Hack of Craft material. But when your kids bring it to you or your sibling, what are you going to do, right? And so it, it, it frustrates me when they do it because I've been through this process long enough that I know that it is impossible to critique a segment of a story and tell the person it works or it doesn't work. So, so much of can you read this and tell me if it's good enough is 
well, are you asking if the writing is good enough? Are you asking if the scene is good enough? Are you asking if the characters are good enough? And then they get mad at me and go away. So the, the thing about beta readers then is drawn off of those experience and all the, am I good enough? Which comes from a place of self-doubt that I get from my listeners and my readers. So I wanted to talk a little bit about why someone would or wouldn't put unfinished material out to be critiqued by others. And so there's all these different definitions. What exactly are you looking for and who are the others and who are you as a person that it all falls under? So there's a lot of, it depends. So unless Steve has some specific questions that his brain's been jiggered on these, we could take an imaginary person and say, this under this situation, it might not be beneficial to go to a critique group. And so here's, I'm going to use myself sort of as this imaginary person. And I grew up in an environment where nothing I did was ever good enough. And if I ever did do anything good, I was not allowed to take the credit for it. That was God. But if I messed up, that was me. So I knew from my own personal perfectionism, sort of self wanting to be the best that I could, and my sensitivity to people telling me you're doing it wrong, that if I took unfinished material out and let people read it, people that I didn't know and I didn't trust, that I would never finish writing. Because I'd be like, I can't do this, I'm no good at it, and I would just quit. And I really wasn't good at it. So that was probably the smart thing to do. There were times that I did let people read unfinished material. And that went specifically to individuals whose opinions I respected and who I knew loved me and would not tear my work apart for the sake of putting me down because of envy or jealousy or even fear like sometimes we project our fear of failure or our fear of rejection onto other people and we try to save them from the embarrassment we think they're going to experience. So, and we do them a disservice by that because we are not them. And so um, I was very, very cautious in letting others read my work until it was completely finished. And once it was completely finished, I was also very cautious in letting others read it because I didn't want, I didn't, I, if I sent it to somebody whose opinion I did not care about, that was one thing. But if I actually valued their opinion, I was careful in who I sent it to because I didn't want to be, again, have somebody stop me before I was ready to be stopped. And my viewpoint in, like, if I was going to take material to a critique group, I would want to be very guarded and cautious of who those people are, because there are those who have your best interest in heart at heart, and there are those who maybe just like to criticize because it makes themselves feel better. And then there are those who want to put other people down so that somebody doesn't beat them to the finish line first. Like everybody has their own motives, their mo own motivations. So finding a critique group that is very supportive and full of positive energy, but yet will still tell you the truth, 
I would, if I was going to submit material to a situation like that, it would be in the sense of, am I getting this character? Does the character come through? Is the dialogue working? And I wouldn't ever go into it going, is this good enough? Because is this good enough just opens up a floodgate of non-definition of by everybody's standards of what does good enough even mean. So that's sort of what I wanted to talk about. And that may be the whole show, unless Steve has some questions. Well, I, I want to expand on the idea of beta readers a little bit because I, beta readers mean different things to different beta readers and authors. Um, in some instances, a beta reader is someone who reads the material immediately before it gets published, like the week before it gets published. Um, and, and I'm talking about indie published, um, where you're looking for typos, you're looking for simple story flaws, things that can be fixed easily, uh, things like that. And yeah, so what you just described there is sort of like a different, like I'm thinking, when I think of this, I'm thinking of not someone who's ready to publish or is already has published and is getting ready to publish another book, but those who haven't yet finished a full book and who are still in that struggle of, you know, am I doing this right? And I think there's, there's another, another use um, in, in your, using your circumstance. Um, and I've seen it done pretty successfully with people. And that's the idea of writing the beginning and doing a pretty good job, you know, doing the best you can do on the beginning and then giving it to people and saying, would you want to read more? And that's, you know, they're not ripping apart your fiction. They're not judging anything. It's just a simple question. If, if you're writing like a mystery that. and you've written 5,000 words and the people that you're giving it to say, no, I, you know, it, it's good, but I don't, I don't think I'd want to read more. Um, you've either got the wrong story or you're, you're doing something wrong. Or and, you're picking people who don't read it. Like you'd want to make sure that they read that genre first before you do it. Yes. Yes. But I mean, it is a school of thought in the fast writing community. Um, don't waste a lot of time. Don't waste the time to read, to write an entire book that people might hate. Just write the first 5,000 words and send it out to 10 people whose opinions you, you respect and ask them if they would want to read more. And if they, yeah, if they do, then write another 5,000 words and send it to them. And if you get that far, then you know you're on to something. Yeah, I, I can totally see that. And I could see that there's some real value in doing it that way. With that question, would you want to read more? Mm -hmm. and, and I've also noticed in that in my own experience, friends and family – are they're the worst sometimes the yeah they can be the worst people to offer and 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 friend is friend is relative like you know friend that you grew up with with childhood maybe is included in that friends and family thing and it, it has to do with familiarity and i've had this discussion with um with others even of different um different uh, occupations and it sort of goes like this if your next door neighbor is a surgeon He's sort of like the last person you want to operate on you because he's your next door neighbor. How good could he really be? <laughs> and it's just sort of this sort of subconscious bias that runs through. Uh, it just runs through humanity, I guess. And so if 
you know, even to this day, if I send my, like my mother, she reads voraciously. And if I send something to her, she's like the last person I want her opinion on it because she's not going to come to me with the opinion, the way um, somebody I didn't know would or knew sort of um, with a few steps removed. She's coming to me as a mother to her daughter. And so the, the way she approaches it is not really very helpful to me. Uh, maybe you should change the title of the book. Then people would like it more. Go away, mom. <laughs> maybe the, maybe the title, the, the problem, I mean, it's a really bad title. Maybe people just don't like the title. Go away, mom. You know, it's like, it's not helpful. So, but she'll be like, the book is good. I'm like, thanks, mom. So, um, yeah. <laughs> now, I, I very flippantly said they're the worst. And I shouldn't have said that. I, it was just a quick off the top of my head because I've interviewed a number of people who beta work, beta readers, probably not the right word for them. It's, it's, test, it's their first people. reader. Their first okay. reader. They call it their first reader. And very often it is a mother, sister, daughter, son kind of thing. But it's it, those are unique relationships where, where the author is skilled enough to know, to have a pretty good sense of what's happening uh, with, with their own work. And they just want the opinion of someone who's read all of their other books. Right. Yes, yes, yes. I totally follow that. Now, another... and, and, I, and I, I feel like I have to like now apologize for what I just said. Like, none of the, the, my mother is a, if she, if she doesn't like it, she'll tell me something. If it's good, she'll tell it to me. But it's just not the same as getting feedback from somebody who doesn't have that intimacy with me. You know, like it's a few. Uh, yes, I would not. I would not she... trust. Well, I shouldn't say that because I have a lot of writer friends whose opinions I trust. You being one of them. Um, Carol being one of them, and I, I send material out to people, and I get honest, uh, honest opinions uh, on the material, which which is wonderful. But most of my friends who don't read, I would never give them the book to to read and say, right. read this and and let me know what you think. I yeah, just would never yeah. do it because there there's no way to even gauge the value of their opinion. Exactly, and so I guess that's sort of kind of my point is if you're gonna take your work finished or unfinished to someone. Um, choosing who you give it to is really important, especially if you're still so new and so raw and somebody telling you that it doesn't, they don't like it or asking questions that about things that you thought made sense, but they don't understand. It, is, it can totally like take what little confidence you have and just smash it. And so I guess that's where I'm coming from with the sort of being careful of who you share your work with is choose wisely for that reason. Now, we probably have some indie authors that are out there uh, listening to us as well. And, and the world of the beta reader in the indie community can be much different, um, where a beta reader is not only someone that you want to read the book before it's published, and this is the week before it's published kind of thing, you know, last minute looking for typos, looking for story issues, especially people that if you write a series who have read every book, because some of these people will remember more about the series than you do. Um, but there's also a process by which you want to encourage those readers to buy the book when it comes out. You've given them a free copy, but you also want to want them to buy a copy and then review the book. And then you can very quickly get 
10, 15, 25, 50. Um, in the case of, of some people that really do this incredibly well, 100 reviews, verified reviews from purchases. And, and there's this, you know, very specific techniques for doing that. So, I mean, that's another use of beta readers. Since we're probably going to use the term beta reader in the title to this show, I want to mention that as well. Would those, would those types of readers that you just uh, spoke of be what some people refer to as a street team? Yes, yes. That, yeah, others. And, and street team is a term that you don't hear that much anymore. A couple of years ago, everyone was talking about building their street team. Now it's not really as much of a thing. But yes, exactly the same thing. And a, a Your street, book family. Yeah, uh, the, the street team was more, yes, you would want them to read the book and review the book. But you would also want them to tell their to tell their friends about the book as well, uh, and that's not what this this beta reader thing is. If, if you if you have the right group of beta readers, and you can make your book available at a very low price very early on in the process before you announce it to your general fans, and the beta readers can go in and buy it for say ninety nine cents, then they have a, then you have a verified purchase. They can write a fair review, and you are. The, the Amazon algorithms will love you if if there's ah. enough of that. It's it's a very powerful technique for indie for indie authors. So my takeaway from the discussion we've had so far is, you know, we, there's there's two different types of sort of life writing stages when mm -hmm. it comes to beta reading, test reading, whatever, and it's the before and the finished and now after type. Uh, Thing. Those who are still getting their feet wet and getting the, their, their first novels written and those who are now in the flow of it and getting it done. I think that's a great way of breaking it up. And, and in the first group, you, you, might, you might have a critique group, and we have listeners that believe very strongly in, in critique groups. You might have uh, just someone that is another writer who will give you an honest opinion. Um, you might just do the 5,000-word thing and, and see if people would want to read more. There are, a lot of, there are a lot of ways you could do that in the beginning stage, and there are also a lot of different ways you can use beta readers at, at the pre-publication stage as well, or immediately prior to publication stage. Yeah, and I, I, and I want to go back to the, the whole thing of is this good enough, and that was sort of the... Um, the premise behind the 5,000 word thing, you know, is this not good enough, but would you want to read more? And that is, it's very possible that it's not good enough right mm -hmm. now for the audience, but that should not discourage you from continuing if you have an interesting story. It, good enough is a very variable uh, term, and it's entirely based on who you're asking. And is it good enough that someone will want to read it and pay for it? Then go, keep going, even if just one person wants it. Because you get good enough by doing, by moving forward, by continuing. And I, it, it's really, really, really hard to finish a book. It's easy to talk about. It's easy to get the ideas for. For some people, not for me, um, and to sort of start, but it's a lot. It's it's a lot of words, and there's often a big muddle that comes through the process. And to work through that muddle and that the feelings of this is sucks. My, you know, I'm I'm terrible. To keep working through that, 
even if you get critiques that tell you, no, this isn't working, don't let that stop you. It just means you're not there yet. And just because you're not there yet right now doesn't mean you can't get there. It's just, it's a craft. It's a learning process. It takes time and it takes some people more time than others. And that's okay. So if you get great critique, awesome. If your critique is not so good, that's okay too. Don't let it beat you up. Um, I, I want to tell a quick story before we wrap up. And it has to do, for those of you who are longtime listeners or have been listening for the last six months or so ago, or for the <gasps> last six to, months. We have to talk about people who've done the whole hundred episodes. All right, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll do that later, but okay. <laughs> don't let me forget. All right. Um, but I, I want to mention, you and I went through an exercise, a real-time plotting exercise, essentially, where I had this really underdeveloped, completely undeveloped idea for a story that was just the beginning. Do you remember this, Taylor? Yes. Okay. And then that became a short story. I, I was reminded of this because of, of the beta group discussion. Okay. Um, that short story is going to be in an anthology called Close to the Bone, and it's being released on July 15th. Oh, yay. So it, there is no pre-order available for it, but when it comes out, we'll let you know. And I would love it if you would go buy a copy. But one of the things I did with the story when it was done was to send it out to a group of beta readers that I work with on a regular basis for other people's material. And they read a completely different style of fiction. But I sent it to them because they're essentially amateur professional readers. They're, they're really good at, at picking out story issues or potential problems. And I sent it to them. I think the story was like 8,000 words. And my questions were, one, do you see anything that's terribly wrong with this? And two... Um, would you want to read more about this character? Those are great questions. And so the answer w was universal in, in all cases. And a lot of times people said, I don't normally read this kind of thing, but I love this guy and I want to read more. The only thing I didn't like about it is that it was too short. So awesome. if you do a full-length novel, I really want to read it. And so that's the kind of feedback that you can get from just, you know, something as simple as a short story. But I, I, had, I ask a very specific question, and you've talked about this before when you send material to people. Um, you may want very specific information. You don't want to know if, if, you know, they, if you use the apostrophe in the right place. Yeah, exactly. You, you, you want the answer to the question, and the answer to my question was, yes, I would want to read more about this character, and I would That's buy awesome. the next book if it were available now. I would buy it now. And so congratulations that's, on that. Well, I mean, it, it's not a, Hey, look at me thing. It's, it's a way of, I mean, and you can even do it with the first 5,000 words, you know, would you yeah. want to read more? And that's the same, it's the same answer. So basically I gave them 8,000 words and it's like, would you want to read more about this character? So the, the, the point to that being that the questions that you ask your beta readers can be as important as who your beta reader, who you choose as your beta readers, because without, them knowing what you hope to get back, they will come with, uh, that was grammatically incorrect or whatever. And for me, that it's like, I was like, don't tell me about the type. I don't care about them. Uh, we'll get out. I want to know, do the characters work? Does the plot make sense? 
you know, did it slow down in places and you just started skipping pages to get to the next part? I, those are the things I need to know, right? Yes. yes. So um, your point being ask the right questions. Yes. Okay. Now, um, people that have listened to all 100 episodes, we ask people to let us know last week and a few people did. I'm just so excited about it. And I'm wondering, Steve, should we like have like, is it a big deal to put on our website like a Hall of Fame? And then we can add names of the add the names of people who have listened to all episodes and put on the website as a Hall of Fame. I think we should do that. That's a great idea. You want to do I, it? I, I, I can <laughs> compile the list. I don't know. I'm not the <laughs> Yo, person, you are I... totally taking the easy way out. Right, For people fine. that don't know, don't let Taylor <laughs> Taylor hand codes HTML. She does. No. She doesn't take the easy way out like I do. She hand codes HTML. I don't. I mean, I've had to, but it, that's why now Steve handles the website because he's like, "That sucks. Why are you doing that?" What I don't do say that? it sucks. I my way gets gets things done faster, and it looks prettier. <laughs> okay. Um, call to action. <laughs> I have a call to action. Write down the name Call to the Bone, close to the bone, and look for it on July 15th at Amazon. It's only going to be at Amazon. That's a really fun call to action. And then you can specifically let Steve know how awesome his story was. Or let me know what was wrong with it because that would be fine too. No, he doesn't want to hear that anymore. It's published. Once it's published, (laughs) it's like – that that's the thing. That's the thing is advice and everything is so helpful before the book gets published. But once it's published, it's like, well, it's different when you're an indie because you can go back and fix things. But once it's in print, you're like, okay, what do you want me to do about it now? <laughs> it's done, you know. All right, this is the official end of our show. But Taylor said something about a postscript to the story that we opened the show with. So for those of you listening for writer's advice, we're done. But for those of you who listen every week to hear Taylor and I talk, let's, what's the rest of the story? Okay. <laughs> so I've been on this major decluttering kick. Um, I don't have a lot of things, but somehow they still keep coming into my house. And sometimes the stuff is I don't want to just throw it away. And so I'll list it for sale on Facebook or eBay or whatever. And one of the things that I was decluttering were some um, really nice uh, artifacts that I had brought back from Africa 20 years ago. And I, um, I just was like, I'm not going to haul these with me if I ever move. I'm just like, it was a time in my life, but I don't need these things anymore. So I, but they're they're the types of of pieces that if they were in a retail setting would sell for a lot of money, and I but I didn't you know I just I don't care so I just put them on on uh, I listed them, and you know they're heavy so shipping costs are high whatever so anyway these people contacted me and they're like you know oh my God we were in Africa in this certain time and you know, we really love these pieces and would you be willing to accept a lower price and whatever. And um, I had this bet in my mind of where I really, 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 really wanted that bed. And it was more than I was able to pay. And the people worked with me and met me part way very nicely. And how happy I was to 
to have it, to be able to have this thing that I wanted so much. And so I paid it forward. And so even though they weren't offering me what these pieces were actually worth, they were people who really, 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 really wanted them personally, not to put in a store or whatever. And so I paid it forward and I sent them off to a happy new home. Oh, that's a great story. <laughs> <laughs> that really puts a nice bow on everything. Uh, well, you know, I'm a storyteller after all. <laughs> <laughs> that you are. Now, aren't you glad you listened, everyone, that stayed all the way to the end and you didn't just go, oh, if they're not talking about writing, I'm done. So you got that great bonus story. Uh, Taylor, any other words of wisdom? We've, <laughs> we've called to action. We've got multiple stories today. We've got it all. We've done it all. I mean, maybe by the next time, I'm not sure if it'll be next show or the show after, we'll have some Thriller Fest stories possibly to tell. So um, yes, stay yes. tuned. And, and hopefully back. hopefully, our uh, the beginning stages of our wall of fame. So thank you, everybody who listened this week. A big thank you to those of you who have listened to all 101 episodes. You guys are awesome. Be with you again soon. 